parallels the same statement when Jesus said, do not think that I've come for those who are healthy. I've come for those who are sick. And the same Pharisees were saying, we're not sick, are we? And Jesus said, because you think you're still healthy, you're really sick. If you think you don't have a problem, if you think you don't need God, you have no hope, you are still dead in your sins, and you are condemned. That, my brothers and sisters, might not be popular, but that is the truth. Seeing and believing. In our 22nd episode, Jesus heals a man born blind and confronts the spiritual blindness of the religious leaders as we continue with life's meaning and purpose, an in-depth study of the Gospel of John. Hello and welcome to the Transforming Lives Together podcast. During his early years, John Newton had a reputation for being a profane and debaucherous young man who would spend much of his time working on merchant vessels and slave trading ships. But on one fateful voyage, while caught up in a terrible storm, the trajectory of his life would change as he put his faith in Christ. Now you may not be familiar with John Newton's story, but you may be familiar with the words to his most famous hymn. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. In these words, John Newton likens his conversion to that of a blind man receiving his sight, much like the blind man in our lesson this week, whose eyes were opened not only physically to behold Jesus' face, but also spiritually to behold Jesus as the Son of Man. Sadly, we also see the contrast between this man and the religious leaders who remain spiritually blind as they continue to reject Jesus. Before we turn it over to Father Board, we would like to say thank you for your time as you tune in each week. We pray you are blessed and encouraged by the content of this podcast. Please listen through to the end to learn how you can connect with this podcast and with all that is happening at St. Bartholomew's Anglican Church. And now, with this week's lesson in the Gospel of John, here is Father Ward. So let's now look at chapter 9. Now, the beautiful thing about chapter 9 is chapter 9 presents us with a contrast between true faith and a softening heart and a false faith and a hard heart in chapter 8. So the opposition to Jesus is intensifying with each chapter. And in chapter 9, though, the entire chapter is devoted to the healing of a man born blind and then the reaction of this man and the development of his own faith as well as the reaction by his parents to the miracle, his neighbors, and to the Pharisees. And through it all, Jesus is continuing to reveal who he is and the nature of his purpose and his person. So let's now look at chapter 9. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Now Jesus healed a number of folks in the Gospels, But this was the first person identified as one who has been blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, and this is very important, we're going to see why. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? There was this idea in Judaism, which was partly, you could see where they would 
come up with this logic. And then there was another teaching that was totally distorted uh, that led people down the wrong path. And the, the first was in, in Exodus, God says that the sins of the parents, God will punish to the third and fourth generation. And so there was this idea that if you were experiencing bad things in your life, if you had sickness and you had other things, it could be the result of your parents or your grandparents or your great-grandparents. Now, we know that there's a spiritual principle here in that if your parents abused you, there's, uh, you might have a tendency to then abuse your kids. If your parents have uh, addictive type of personalities, that can visit itself. If your parents are not following the Lord or involved in the occult, that can visit itself. That there is something to be said of a spiritual curse that can go from run, one generation to the next. Just as your genes, all of us have defective genes, we can pass on genetically from one generation to the next the same ailments. So there is a, a spiritual principle there. We know that spiritually speaking, though you can break the curse of generational sins through coming to Christ. So there is a spiritual truth there, but they would take it to the next level. And they would say that you're born, if you're born with a defect, it's because of the sins of your parents. And that's not what Exodus is saying. And then where the rabbis got off, really off, is when they would contend that the person sinned while they were in the womb, in the embryonic state, or that they may have sinned in a pre-existing life. Now we know that that leads us to the false teaching of reincarnation. In Eastern religion, in Buddhism, especially Hinduism, and in some of the other Eastern religions there, there is this understanding that we are not, our bodies are really not us, that we are spirit beings that can take different forms, and that there are a series of births and deaths and rebirths and all that until you end up into your highest state to then you're absorbed into the universe. Uh, and it's that type of thinking leads to terrible injustice. We can see that in its fullest expression in India, where India, which Hinduism is the primary religion, at the heart of Hinduism is the caste system, which basically says that if you're born into poverty, if you're born into sickness, if you're born into a lower caste, it is because of your previous life. That if you are a rat, it means you did something bad in your previous life. And so they view animals as spirit beings in India. And as a result, what has happened in India, people don't help others. That's why Mother Teresa and her ministry was so revolutionary because she went into the leper colonies of Calcutta because no one would even help them because they would feel that, that they were getting their just due. That's why in India they would let rats live instead of kill them. We know that if you don't kill certain types of animals that there is overpopulation and it threatens the food supply. 
So how we view life, how we view the world, how we view ourselves, how we view God, it all has ramifications. Jesus said, he told the truth, and he corrected this false thinking. And he says, Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Notice that Jesus takes us away from the negative to the positive, to the potential that we have in God, the mighty power of God. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. So right there, Jesus highlights the fact that their time is limited and they need to do the work of the Lord because there's coming a time when they're not going to be able to do it openly at all and he's going to be arrested. It highlights the fact for all of us, a spiritual principle for all of us. It's why the Bible says two things. One in the Old Testament in Psalms uh, 90 uh, verse 12, I believe it is, that Lord teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Why the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians that we are to make the most of the time knowing that the days are evil. Again, not the days themselves, but that the age that we live in is evil. The fact of the matter is, our time is limited. You don't know if these are the best days of your life right now. You don't know. You don't know when the opportunity for you to make a difference the way you can make a difference in terms of maximizing what God has called you to do and to be about, you don't know how much time you have. So we always want to make the most of the time. We always want to have God's perspective when it comes to the opportunities we have. And Jesus is highlighting that in his very ministry in the statement. So then we read, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, and you know, that statement is pretty profound because basically if he's out of the world, then there is no light. You remove Jesus out, and certainly from a scientific and natural standpoint, just as if you remove the sun, there would be no life on this planet. If you remove Jesus, there is no life at all. And if you remove Jesus from the world, but still have the physical light that he's still sustaining, you will have no spiritual light or truth. And left to our own devices, we would literally blow the planet up, destroy it, which we have the capability to do now, by the way. Verse 6, when he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes. So why is this so significant? It shows Jesus' power as the Creator. Notice that we were made out of dust, and so He's taking this dirt, this dust, He's spitting on it, His own spit, His own life-giving properties. He's baking it in the clay, and He's putting it on the man's eyes. He's restoring a condition that the man was born with. He is restoring to wholeness a defect in the creation as a result of the fall. And he's doing it physically because the man cannot see him. The man doesn't know if this is what's really happening to him. And so by virtue of the weight that the man is feeling on his eyes and this clay on his eyes, he knows that someone is responding to him and is seeking to do something good for the man. That's why Jesus did that demonstrates his power and his compassion. 
for this blind man. But then notice Jesus doesn't say anything about this man being healed. He says to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which, transla- which is translated sent. So he was giving something for the man to do. He was commanding the man to go to a pool that was a ways away, a considerable ways away, that would take effort, that would take the man to have to walk, who is used to just sitting on the road begging, and a blind person, they had no means to support except for the generosity of people around. And so now this man is commanded, will he obey? Will he trust Jesus, not knowing whether or not him going to the pool will even open his eyes? Now he may have had a hope of that, overhearing the disciples saying, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus saying, no, but that the works of God be demonstrated. So he probably was anticipating, he had that hope, but he had to demonstrate that faith in action. And that's what he did. If he had never gone to the pool, to wash that dirt off, and think about it too. I mean, he had a, there was a motivation too. Was he going to just let the clay and the mud be on his eyes? Had to clean it off anyway. So he goes to the pool and, he, and he's healed. He washes and he comes back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, is not this the one who used to sit and beg? So everybody who knew him, people who had supported him, said, hey, wait a minute, what happened? This is amazing. Others were saying, this is he. Still others were saying, no, but he is like him. So, you know, there's that uh, you know, unbelievableness to it, and some aren't going to totally believe it, and say, no, it got to be someone else. Maybe he has a twin. But he kept saying, I'm the man. He's just, I'm the one. He's accepting the fact. This is what happened to me. He's giving testimony to the miracle. So they were saying to him, how then were your eyes open? And he answered, the man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes. And he said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed and I received sight. Now it's interesting that Siloam is, 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 uh, means sent. It's, it's a way of Jesus highlighting the fact that he's been sent by the Father to us to point us in the right direction, but more importantly, to have us enter into relationship with him but then he is to send us out, right? He says, go. So he comes to this man and he ministers to him. He is sent to the man, but then he sends the man to the pool. He sends us out. And then we read here that someone else gets involved. Oh, these guys. Oh yes, the Pharisees. They brought to the Pharisees, verse 13, the man who was formerly blind. Now it was a Sabbath on that day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes and I wash and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. So most of the Pharisees were caught up in their own traditions. And remember the stumbling block consistently, not just here, but over and over again throughout all the, in all the Gospels, was the Sabbath. This idea of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was sacred to the Jews. They weren't supposed to perform any work. But the problem was that they had added all these laws in order to try to keep the Sabbath, that it became a burden. So the problem is that Jesus made, he bent on, he, he put some you know, dirt and made it mud. He, he's doing work. And so they were more concerned, again, with their law with formal obedience rather than with life. They were more concerned with the letter of the law, rather, which was even a false letter, rather than the spirit of the law. 
And so then they were blaming or they were attacking Jesus's character by saying, well, this guy's got to be a sinner because he broke the Sabbath. And yet there were those who were saying, wait a minute, how can this man be a sinner if he performs such, such signs? Remember, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus were part of the Sanhedrin and they were followers of Jesus. There were a minority, I'm sure, of Pharisees who were like, wait a minute here. Verse 17, so they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. The Jews then did not believe it of him and that he had been blind and had received sight until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight and questioned them saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he see now? His parents answered and said, we know that he, this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue, excommunicated. Now, this was significant because that means you had no part in the religious community. That would mean that technically you're out of the side of the covenant, and that means you lost your salvation. So the parents were like, hey, you know, yeah, he's, it's his, he's our son. Yes, he was healed, but we don't know what happened. So go and ask him. So verse 24, so a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner, that is Jesus. He then answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. But one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Isn't that great? That's a great verse. That's the one in Amazing Grace, right? Once was blind, but now I see. It's lost, but now I was found. So they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? They reviled him and said, you are his, are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, well, here's an amazing thing, that you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. So you see, this man already had a faith. This man was reasonable. This man was open. This man was not blind. He was beginning to see. He had the right perspective. He was on the right track. Verse 32, Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. This man were not from God. He could do nothing. And they answered him, You were born entirely in sin. And you are teaching us. So they put him out. Now two things here. They attack his character. They get frustrated and just start attacking him. And then they excommunicate him. They do the very thing that they threatened that his parents were afraid were going to happen to them. Now notice what happens, though. Jesus heard that they had put him out and finding him. Jesus went to find him. Jesus comes to find us. Jesus is sent to find us. He said, do you believe in the Son of Man? What's fascinating in that statement, do you believe in the Son of Man, in the Greek, there's an extra you added. They don't have to. If you've done any foreign languages, you know that English is somewhat unique because we always put the personal pronoun with the verb. But in a lot of languages, it's, you can just have the verb itself and it's already the uh, pronoun is already uh, implied. Well, in this, you have an actual pronoun added where you didn't have to add it. So it literally basically is saying this. I want to make sure I get it right here. Do you yourself believe in the Son of Man? What do you say? And notice that when Jesus comes to the man, he doesn't know it's Jesus right away because the man was blind when he lost, last saw Jesus. Now, he might have recognized Jesus' voice, 
But Jesus is saying, hey, do you believe? And as a Jew, he would know the Son of Man was a messianic title for the one that God promised centuries before that would be sent to establish the kingdom of God from Mount Zion, from Israel, for all eternity. That was the hope of the Jewish people. And remember, the reason why many didn't follow Jesus was because they were thinking it as a political situation, that he was going to come and become replace Caesar and establish the kingdom in the here and now. They have the Jews be God's first and foremost people ruling the nations. So they had a misunderstanding. So then the man says, verse 36, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. So then Jesus identifies himself as the Son of Man, as the Lord, and then notice how the man responds. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. The ultimate expression of faith in God, the ultimate expression that you are a disciple of Jesus is you worship him. He is what's most valuable in your life. He is your all in all. And so we see a progression here of who Jesus is in John chapter 9. First, he's identified as the man they call Jesus. Then he's identified as a prophet. Then he's identified as from God. Then he is identified as the Son of Man, which is a messianic title, which also denotes both humanity and divinity. And then finally, he is declared as Lord. Notice how the chapter ends. For judgment I came into the, this world so that those who do not see may see and that those who see may become blind. So there is a, there's two things going on here. First of all, he's saying that those who are blind physically, he has the power to make them to be able to see. But that those who actually see physically, even though they may see physically, they still can be blind spiritually and that's far worse and the pharisees upon hearing this said we are not blind too are we and jesus said to them if you were blind you would have no sin but since you say we see your sin remains in other words if they were ignorant if they couldn't see what was going on if they couldn't see the miracles if they weren't exposed to jesus they would still be blind and that would be okay because they didn't have the opportunity to see. But if they've been exposed to Jesus, if they've been exposed to the light, and they still say that they can see, then they're still in their blindness. It's the same, parallels the same statement when Jesus said, do not think that I've come for those who are healthy. I've come for those who are sick. And the same Pharisees were saying, we're not sick, are we? And Jesus said, because you think you're still healthy, you're really sick. If you think you don't have a problem, if you think you don't need God, you have no hope, you are still dead in your sins, and you are condemned. That, my brothers and sisters, might not be popular, but that is the truth. And thank God that all of us have been exposed to the light we have said yes to the light. And as a result, we are sons of God, no longer slaves 
we have everything we need to grow in this life and to be the people God wants us to be. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for a great study. We thank you for the power of your word and for the truth that uh, just emanates from it and that it is just simply an extension of Jesus, the word who became flesh. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to work in our hearts to make us more like Christ and to so that we can be that light. We pray for all our brothers and sisters in this parish who are not with us, who wanted to come here. Pray that you would increase our number as, to study your word and more importantly, that you would help us to reflect that love of Christ uh, to all those that we come in contact with. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to the Transforming Lives Together podcast, a ministry of St. Bartholomew's Anglican Church in Tonawanda, New York. For more information about the church, including a list of our service times, please visit our website at www.stbartston.org. Again, that's www.stbartston.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, please leave us a five-star rating or a positive review. Both will help in reaching more people with this podcast. If you're on Facebook, head over to facebook.com slash transforming lives together podcast and give us a like. And if you're an Amazon Alexa user, say, hey Alexa, play the Transforming Lives Together podcast to hear the latest episodes. We hope you will tune in next time as we continue with Life's Meaning and Purpose, an in-depth study of the Gospel of John. Until then, we leave you with these verses from the prophet Isaiah. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. God bless.